Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these. Go to 11. Once again, Nathan Bell, your host. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, what interesting music we have today. Wasn't that a great and shocking intro to our audience? I know. Um, that, I'm, I'm liking these little uh, niches that we're doing. I'm liking them, too. I mean, we still have our great standard that yep. our, our friend Josh laid down. That's our usual track. But a couple of reasons for that, Nathan. Number one is... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people passing away that are uh, famous uh, mm-hmm. lately. David Bowie, most recently, that is uh, David Bowie and Queen. Yep. I think 1981 they did that track that started apparently when I read as a jam session, and I heard it this weekend with the NFL playoffs, and I thought, man, you and I are under pressure tonight. I know because we are going to have a conversation. That's right. This is a first for these go to 11. Um, you know, you've heard Greg and I uh, talk before and, you know, we loosely, loosely will disagree with each other um, every once in a while. But um, usually we come to some sort of a, a medium um, in our conversation. Um, and this is a topic that uh, for you and I personally, Greg, dates back years. Yeah. Uh, when we first had this conversation, and that is, uh, what is the role of women in ministry? Right. And um, you and I have uh, different views on that, mm-hmm. although um, not not huge different, but still different enough yep. um, to uh, actually – it's interesting because different enough so that I'm not even actually able to be an elder in the church because of my view. That would be correct. Um, and so – you know, you and I uh, talked about this years ago when I was interested in pursuing eldership in the church, and just because of this view, um, I can't. And so it's exciting that we're able to revisit that. It is on tonight's podcast. Well, years ago, when we had that, dude, we never knew we'd be talking oh, no. in the microphones. No, never. Um, and, I, and I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. Yeah. I was more prepared then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> than I am tonight, dude. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I'm coming through an NFL playoff weekend, uh, you know, catching up uh, with Lisa on movies and shows uh, that we've come through Christmas. So uh, that'll be good. We'll, we'll, we'll shake off the uh, rust as we... Uh, That's right. Uh, wait, wait, do you shake off rust? You shake off dust, shake and I guess you WD-40 rust. There you go. So whatever. We're going we're gonna to spray or shake or do something to uh, to work through this and uh, yeah but dude even when you say it man doesn't it just sound harsh yeah. to say uh, yeah and because of that view I can't be an elder it's like as soon as you yeah. said it I was like yeah that's true but uh, let's <laughs> find a softer way to say that let's- well it and it's funny because um, I've mentioned this before you know you and I had that discussion and at the time I was very annoyed right um, because. I remember when we first came into the church, the church hadn't quite clearly defined its right. role in eldership yet I and who right. could be an elder and who couldn't. Um, and then I, I think it was a year or two later that yeah. um, there were some issues in, yeah. the, in the elder team uh, that I wasn't a part of. Just yep. make that clear because uh, I, I was never an elder. Um, and – those issues led to the elder team at the time strengthening the uh, mission statement. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctrinal distinctives sure, might be the way to put it. Yeah, just uh, to fill in uh, our listeners a little bit, Nathan, um, you know, there's always a little bit of a tightrope here, but I think I can walk it uh, pretty well. Um, the founding of CFC was fraught. That's the church that you and I both are mm-hmm. at and. Uh, that I've had the privilege to pastor. It'll be 13 years. Uh, wow. 
this May that mm-hmm. we sort of had a first official meeting for what would become CFC. Um, I was always personally clear and committed on that issue right. of what I'll, I'll get to eventually, but the complementarian position that mm-hmm. uh, men and women are to be in different roles in church leadership. We'll cover that in a moment. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, it was clear. Um, I will just say this without getting too specific. Sure. Uh, the early years of CFC were uh, fraught with much complexity mm-hmm. because um, early founders, myself included, assumed too much sure. about other parties and that, oh, we're all on the same page. And as we were in process, that's why I've always said, dude, I could definitely write a book mm-hmm. on church planting and it would literally be the 22 things not to do. Right, right. And I don't know if I could offer one thing other than God's grace is awesome uh, as a positive uh, to get us where we are today. But that issue surfaced. Um, it was surprising me in the early years, but there was always a little bit of unrest mm-hmm. uh, in earlier iterations of the prior elder teams at my church. Um, not in recent years, right. obviously, which right. you just uh, made reference to. Um, elder teams very united. The current elder team on this issue. There's four of us, and uh, on this issue, obviously, we're, we're we're all of of the the same mind. So, yeah, it was interesting. It. I am thankful, looking back, that it put me in conversations that I never anticipated having. When you're yeah. around people all the time that think just like you, right? Um, which I'm not knocking. I mean, denominations have their place. I've often I've got a lot of PCA friends. Mm-hmm. We had Mark Fodale on in the summer that yep. debated baptism with me, and you know I've wondered about guys that are in the PCA or or in the the Southern Baptist Convention or, or wherever they might find themselves. The advantages of just knowing, hey, I'm going into this group, and unless somebody's deviating from the statement, right? We're all on the same page on this issue or that issue. Non-denominationalism, uh, when not carefully defined, and uh, just in general, mm-hmm. and the particular history of CFC, it put me in a, a lot of context where I was having conversations with people that were, you know, four women pastors, right. uh, things you and I have talked about. So I've learned a lot. Um, I've learned a lot, I think, maybe we'll find out when we talk tonight, Mm -hmm. about the pitfalls, even on how you communicate a position that you believe in. Right. You know, that's that's something we're always learning. I used to just think, well, as long as you think you've got the right position, who cares how you communicate? Right. Like, no, it it does matter. Right. You know, it it, it does matter. When teaching on the equality of men and women Mm -hmm. in Christ, yet it might be the distinctions of men and women in, in certain areas. Uh, there can be a lot of uh, missteps yeah. that are made that can cause a lot of damage. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, agreed. And likewise, um, I know uh, when I when I tell people my position, you know, one of the first things comes to that comes to people mind. Oh, you're very you're very liberal, so mm-hmm. you don't mind. You know, if pastors are homosexuals, you don't mind. If, oh, sure. You sure. know, homosexuals get married, so it, it just brings to mind a very negative context right. when I say. Yeah, I think I think women can be pastors. I don't think there's anything in scripture against that. Yeah. Um and and again, like you said, we'll get to that. Um but, you know, to make my position clear, I am probably very re- very much reformed except sure. for in this one area. Yes, in fact, I'm glad you said it, Nathan. I I think you and I've talked about it casually, but for our listening audience to know, this is good mm-hmm. because Nathan is a thoroughly reformed guy. We talk all the time mm-hmm. and and I know where you stand on the issues that we've covered. uh, uh, unconditional election and divine sovereignty and those things that have come up 
in in many other places. Um, you are, I will tell you, Nathan, I know of, well, actually three. I know of three guys, including you, mm-hmm. that are confessionally reformed, for lack of a better term, and are um, for women in certain types of leadership mm-hmm. that the majority of reformed people aren't. So I bet mm-hmm. our listeners are probably like, wait, wait, what is this here? So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Because it gives a, a good opportunity, I think, to explore, um, you know, I, I say all the time, an example I give, Nathan, I, I was going to put this in later, but mm-hmm. you've seen it. It's, it's part of our membership process here at our church. Yep. We use a traffic light or a bullseye illustration a lot. Yep. The, you know, the, the bullseye is sort of your center target bullseye is, you know, that's what we call the, the absolutes. Yeah. Then the surrounding first circle is convictions mm-hmm. and then preferences on the outer edge. Uh, the traffic light, I like a little better. I, I, I like it a little better. It's the red light, yellow light, green light yeah. um, approach. I feel like we're on romper room here or something. But uh, <laughs> at the red light, right. <laughs> we like to do this. But I always say in our membership classes, say, hey, we're going on a journey together. And it's a beautiful summer day. Each of us uh, is in a cool convertible. Mm-hmm. And we pull up next to each other at the first intersection and be like, hey, Nathan, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going here today. And I always say in the class, it's... I'm going to go to the place where we are changed by beholding Christ. A little right. cliche, but it's our mission statement. Um, and you say, man, I want to go there too. I say, awesome. Uh, and I say the intersections will dictate uh, how that trip goes. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're coming up on the first intersection and um, you're listening to Skillet, you know, <laughs> um, you know, sort of a thrashier metal type Christian music. And I'm like, man, what is that you're listening to? And you're like, oh, it's Skillet. I heard them at such and such. I like it. I think they've got some good songs. And I'm listening to... Uh, Carmen. Ed, yeah, <laughs> Carmen. No, no I'm, I'm listening to Christian... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I thought I just thought... Uh, I, <laughs> I overstated that a bit. But I'm um, I'm listening to Sandy Patty. Sure. Know? Something really rocking. And, you know, you tease me about that. Sandy Patty, man. Come on. So 80s or Steve Green. Uh, and I would always tell people in class, hey, that's that's a green light. Mm-hmm. That is a true preference. It would, it, To me, similar to Bible translations, like yeah. the guy's rocking the NASB and mm-hmm. I prefer the ESV or somebody else likes the New King James. And, yep. uh, Al Myers, our good friend, likes the King James. <laughs> that's for you, Al. King Jimmy lover. Um, <laughs> you know, we can have a good time with that. That's right. Tease each other, laugh about it, etc. I said, if you're going through the next uh, traffic light... Um, and, you know, we're pulling up on it, and our topic of conversation leading us there is um, the deity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I won't make either of us the bad guy. One of us says to the other, yeah, the only thing I don't dig is this. I hear sometimes people saying Jesus is God. I mean, I think that's a little too extreme. I think he's he's the son of God, maybe, and but he you know, he's a man. Uh, that's a red light. Right. Like that trip just can't continue together yeah. until something changes. Yeah. So it stops the trip. The harder one, though, is is the yellow. Yeah, and uh, the yellow light are is what we call convictions, and um, we're talking about things. And I want to be clear on this for our listeners. Mm-hmm. I would say they are things that we believe in many ways, just as passionately mm-hmm. as we believe in the absolutes. Yeah. Example I always give, I believe in elder plurality. I won't even get to gender yet, sure. which is obvious, but that there should not be one sole authority, uh, like I should not be the final uh, voice of authority at right, CFC right. or any church, 
and everybody saying hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Praise God for that. <laughs> but I don't think any one person should be. Right. So, and I will fight tooth and nail on that. I believe in right. a plurality of leaders um, that should lead the church. I would say I believe that, Nathan, as much as I believe the Trinity. In fact, let me take it a step further. I would feel more comfortable proving right through that, scripture. Through scripture, I mean, I, I certainly do the Trinity too, but right. the Trinity's harder. Right. The reason I give that as an example, I believe them both passionately, but I accord the Trinity much more weight. Right. So this issue we're talking about, I would say, is a yellow light issue. Sure. Um, now, having said all that, th- these are the caveats before we really get going. Here. Right. Right. It is a. Um, we always say, okay, everybody got that red light, yellow light, green light? People say, yeah, I say, let me throw you off and talk about an orange light. Um, <laughs> and I would say that's a functional absolute. Sure. Meaning in any church, you can let certain things hang. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, on our elder team, we don't require uh, that the elders share the exact same eschatology mm-hmm. on the millennium, timing of the rapture. And, right. And, you know, we, we were all probably pretty close on that. Um those things can hang a little more undecided, and the only time to become issues is when I'm preaching through Revelation right. or First Thess four or something like that. Um, they might become issues in that moment right. uh, where we talk about them more. Other issues like contemporary music, traditional, mm-hmm. like that's gonna be one or the other right out of the gate, or right. blended in right. some congregations. Too. Like that, there are certain things that we would say, yeah, they're not salvation. But they have to function here right. in this church. Right. Are we going to be a congregational government, elder-led government, pastor-ruled government? Right. Um, you know, so I would say in a church, these things have to function right. in an absolute way. You right. can't let them hang. Right. Um, so at our church, yes, uh, elders, uh, that office is only open to men. Yep. Uh, and it functions that way. Yet, intellectually, theologically, it is not an issue on par with the Trinity, right. the deed of Jesus. Right. Well, and and to to be fair, this is we see this structure anywhere, really. Of course, you know, in in any organization, you know, you have to have a sense of cohesion yeah. on certain things that will function practically as a, a board. You yes. know, whether it's an elder board, whether it's a school board, whether it's a. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, a corporate board, um, you have to have certain things that have to be understood on the onset that you are going to agree on and you're going to move in that direction for the sake of those under you. Yes. Um, and, and this is one of those issues. And that's something that, um, while I don't agree with, um, you on the particular position, mm-hmm. I agree that you've taken a position yeah. and that you are standing by it. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that I really appreciate, and and we can we can work as we do. Absolutely, wasn't it Augustine that said or sang, "There ain't no good guys, there ain't no bad guys. There's just you and me, and we just disagree." <laughs> Wait, um, yeah, I think that was yeah, who, someone else. I don't know who did sing that. Hey, <laughs> listeners, who sings that song? I love that song. So let's leave it alone, because we don't see eye to eye. All right, enough of that. Um, we may have just lost some listeners. Yeah, we did. <laughs> If we have it already, I know. Uh, we'll stick with the under pressure by Queen. There we go. Um, so yeah, so so setting all this up, this is a first. Um, Greg and I are going to take uh, different positions yep. on this. But before we get into the nuances of where we disagree, um, I, I think it's important that we set up where we agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. You agree. <laughs> 
No pun intended. Yeah. Um, and, and it's for the sake of understanding uh, for, for our listeners out there. We want you to understand that, uh, first of all, Greg is not in a position where he's saying women shouldn't serve anywhere in the church where some churches stand. And so it's important that we establish that. It's also important that we establish um, the functionality of this outside of the church yeah. because many people have taken this idea and have, have thrown it into every sector in the world. Yeah. Um, and and we, we want people to understand this is not what we're saying. Yeah. And, and it's important again that um, our listeners on, out there understand that I'm not um, taking my position from a heretical position. Mm-hmm. I do very much believe that God created men and women differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm married. I wouldn't be able to stay married <laughs> yeah. if I didn't believe that. Um, <laughs> yeah, a married man knows that quite well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so just starting out, um, Greg. Walk me through the idea of um, – let's start off with the difference between men and women outside of the church. Oh, yeah. And then we'll work our way inside the church. Well, I don't think I need to say anything about uh, anatomical differences, right? <laughs> Goes without saying. That's right. Uh, and of course, however, it should be at least be referenced because there is obviously something about those anatomical differences that, that – uh, leads to, to consideration of other differences. It's right. just a no-brainer um, that the fact that men and women are physically different, mm-hmm. uh, naturally, I think a child can figure that out uh, on his or her own. Wow, mommy's different than daddy. Right. And, you know, uh, mommy has the babies, particularly when they see little siblings coming along. Right. When they become older, they realize daddy helps in that process right <laughs> and then they're freaked out for about th- you know six months and hide under the table when they realize it um so kids start to to realize that uh so obviously um there are those differences that i think speak to to other differences um physically speaking uh in most cases there are exceptions mm-hmm. yes there are some uh women that could kick my butt mm-hmm. uh for the most part no men right. are physically stronger that's i think an obvious truth uh you know across the board um well and i think i think to speak to that you know some some real life examples of that are you know when you look at athletes Mm -hmm. and you look at let's say the olympics or um you know most sporting competitions even uh joy and i were just watching american ninja warrior yeah love it the vast majority of Men that are of people that complete American Ninja Warrior are men. That's sure. not to say there aren't women who do, yeah, yeah. but the vast majority are men. Yeah. Um, and then looking at the Olympics, if you look at the qualifying times of, oh, yeah. of events, men are typically much faster mm-hmm. when they're lifting weights, they're lifting heavier, much heavier weights than women. Sure. So the top athletes in both categories, men are typically stronger, faster. Than women are because that is how God created us. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, no doubt. So I, I, I don't think. I mean, you're you're a really extreme person today. If you are egalitarian across the board, yeah, where you're almost blind to obvious differences right. that that the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, that professional sports that have never had a woman play. I mean, it's it's a pitiable, laughable scenario mm-hmm. to imagine a woman lining up on an offensive defensive line against a professional football team. It's 
disturbing in many ways to even think about that. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's obvious. But I do think, Nathan, that does capture some thing. We begin to ask the question, why? Right. Why are these distinctions there? Um, and that leads to uh, a number of things, I guess, first and foremost. The image of God uh, in Genesis 1, God created them in his image, male and female. Mm-hmm. Uh, now... I believe with all my heart that we should keep the language of Scripture intact. Mm -hmm. The personal pronouns to he and him, I think, are important. Uh, I'm fully aware that God at times uses maternal imagery to Mm -hmm. describe his love. I think that's because there is something about the the feminine quality of a woman uh, that reflects something of God's nature and character, etc. Yeah. Thus he says, created them in his image, male and female. Um, so there's something about our design as men and women that goes back to the creator. Uh, the, the full image of God is not seen in uh, simply masculine qualities. Right. Uh, the full image of God is seen in both. I, I think I stand with virtually anybody that would look at that passage honestly uh, and see that. Yet the differences um, are there, and I think they begin to show up in the Genesis account, uh, particularly when we consider a few things we see Adam doing, mm-hmm. um, naming the animals, uh, and then Eve is brought to him. Mm-hmm. I think that's significant. Um, I think it's very significant, of course, that uh, it's not good until their union is complete. Right. It's the first thing in Genesis that isn't good. Uh, you know, and it's very good when Adam and Eve are made. Right. In Genesis 2, you kind of get the slowed down version of that, and you see it's not good for uh, Adam to be alone, and Eve comes. But there is definitely, I do sense there, um, something about man's initiative, man's headship, man's covering in the context of marriage, mm-hmm. which, Nathan, I don't know if we've talked about as much. We we explored that briefly yeah. um, because I remember I remember when we were having this uh, this discussion years ago, um, you asked me if I thought there was a difference in, in marriage. Yeah. And my answer is yes. Yeah. I, I think scripture clearly teaches that there is a difference between men and women in marriage right. and, and the relationship there. But I think my follow-up to that was – but I don't know how because uh, yeah. because to me, um, when I look at my marriage to joy, um, I, I know I'm the head of the house. Mm-hmm. I, I know that intellectually. I don't know how that really plays out in our relationship where I'm head and leader, if that right. makes sense. Sure. Because we make our decisions together. There's, sure. there's not an instance where I would look at her and say – Oh, we're going to do this because I'm the head of the house. Yeah. We're going to move here. We're going to go here. We're going to, uh, you know, all our decisions that are made are made together. Uh, even when I, uh, I, I've just recently taken a new job. Yeah. Um, even when I look to take different jobs, I want to make sure that she is as comfortable with it as possible. Yeah. Um, and that she is secure in that before I move into that next step and role. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a, a very good question, Nathan, because I would say that's how I would describe my marriage to Lisa is um, I, I, I hope she would say the same. I believe that she would, that we make our decisions together. Yep. Um, now I can, a- I'll ask you this. I'll share this about me first. Nathan. Sure. Two or three uh, incidents, two that are very clear in my mind. A third is a little more debatable, 
where uh, we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it, it was not argumentative. It was just right. gen- genuinely a sharing of differing priorities in a given situation. Um, both involved the kids, interestingly enough. And uh, it was a first for us, obviously the first time it happened, and I should say a rarity for us the second time it happened, um, where we thought, wow, we've been at this a long time, and almost always we've come to a mutual uh, you know, uh, agreement. Right. And we've had these instances where we have not. In those cases, in each occasion, Lisa has said to me, Greg, I'm glad you're the head of the home because mm-hmm. I'm going with your call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not, Nathan, have had that yet, which is fine. But it sounds – have you guys had a situation where you just say, we're at uh, loggerheads and what do we do? Um, yes and no. Uh-huh. When, I, when I went to take the position at the liquor store, uh-huh. there was a situation similar to that where Joy was very uneasy and I needed to make a decision quick Yeah. Um, in order to let both of my boss know, bosses know at the yeah. time what I was going to do. Um, and so in that case, um, I actually, I looked at joy and I just asked her very simply, do you trust me enough to make this decision? Yeah. You're unsure about it. I'm not. Do you trust me enough to make this decision? Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, I get, I guess that would be the closest, closest example. Uh-huh. Um, but in that situation, um, our time frame was cut short initially, we were supposed to make a decision on, let's say, a Friday, and we had to our, our time frame was cut short to make a decision on a Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so for Joy, it was just her timing was cut off. Sure. So I don't know that we would have been in a position had she had longer time where we would have gotten to that. Yeah. Um, and it was just it was her indecision, and we needed to make a decision. Right. So. Um, I mean, I guess that's the closest example yep. I could come come up with um, to being like that. And if Joy was here, maybe she could furnish more examples. Yeah. But nothing's really coming sure. to my mind. Sure. And I, and I think, Nathan, and I, I'm not a big fan. I've had many husbands in my office through the years that have, I think, uh, and I can spot it a little more quickly now, they are excited to meet with me so that I can properly – referee, meaning side with him, <laughs> agree that he's the head of the home and so be it. Nay that I've had it in one or two occasions as something as intimate as the bedroom, um, which to me, men, I'll just say it, but listening, <laughs> if you you ever appeal to scriptures on headship, which are rooted obviously in the example of Jesus, the book of Ephesians primarily, to um, win your argument in that arena – Man, just go to your knees in prayer. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've seen it more than I would care to admit, um, and it's very disturbing. Uh, often, though, it's about something less sensitive. It, it might just be about a financial decision. Sure, you know, Greg, tell her I'm the head of the home. Tell her I'm the head of the. Tell her I'm the head of the home. Um, and it's always a tricky one because I'll say, well, it's not what I say. I do believe the Bible says the husband. Um, is the head of the home. Right. Um, and I think that is um, is the clear implication of the Genesis narrative, and I think it's spelled out specifically in Ephesians, um, uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, and, and, and other such places. But right. I, I think that uh, that has to be established first. 
mm-hmm. uh, what God's word says on that subject. Right. Make sure both understand. Uh, and then, of course, um, by asking the man, so what does it mean to be the head? What does right. it mean to be the person who is leading? And uh, nine times out of ten, when you go through that carefully, uh, the husband can see, oh, wow, I'm failing miserably right, as a leader. Right. Uh, nine out of the ten things I should be prioritizing, I'm not. Finally, I'm here to number ten, which is, oh, in this instance, right. I have a decision. That's all they want to talk about. <laughs> right. And I say, okay, I'll get to that. I'd like to talk about the other nine things. Right. Servant leadership. Right. Humility. Compassion. Right. And investment towards your wife's good. Right. Let's talk about those things. Right. Um, uh, sometimes, no, I don't want to talk about those things. I just want it to go to the head as if there's this reductionistic understanding of headship, right. which means I want to win. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons, uh, Nathan, whenever I talk about this subject, and I'm glad we're doing it tonight, I've learned, well, particularly with women, I have to be very careful, I'm not ashamed or afraid of anything I believe, but I know the propensity for misunderstanding. Yeah. Or for me, communicating poorly yeah. or suggesting something that isn't true uh, can catch fire very quickly. Yeah. Well, and you've said it before, Greg, when you've preached on this, and I've heard other uh, very wise preachers when they've preached on this. Um, when when Joy and I were in college, we went to a Wesleyan church. Yeah. And in that church, um, there were there were male pastors and there were female pastors uh-huh. on the team. And uh, it w- there were a husband and wife couple, actually. And I remember the husband, um, he was actually the lead pastor of the church. He preached a sermon on this. And, and I remember he said it, and then I remember you saying it years later, yeah. that men, when you're looking at these verses that talk about how a woman, how a woman is supposed to respond to you, yeah. tune them out. First right. go to see how you are supposed to treat your wife, oh, right. your spouse, and 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 pay close attention to those before you pay attention to the ones that talk about a wife's submission. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I think you and I would agree, Greg, that this when we're talking about the submission of um, a wife, when we're talking about the service of a husband, we are very much limiting that to the husband and wife category. This does not extend outside. In other words, uh, women do not need to submit to men in general. Right. Very good. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a common unspoken uh, assumption in some cases. Mm-hmm. So I should say it's common enough in some cases. I've uh, talked to people and then I'll ask them, and I'll say, no, no, wait a minute. I want to just put this right on the table. The Bible never says that the female right. species right. submits to the male species. Right. There's I, I don't I really think you're hard pressed to find anything like that at all in scripture that in the context or another wife in the church isn't right. to submit to you, neither right. to me or uh, you know, etc. It's a uh, a very intimate concept in the context of one marriage. Yeah. And uh, normally when the husband I you know is as you just said, is more interested in the wife's role. I just asked that question. I think it was uh, Brad Pitt's alter ego character in Fight Club when I asked Ed Norton, "How's that? How's that working out for you?" Um, <laughs> you know, I'll ask that question, right? You know, I, I really will. They'll say, you know, and I, I told her this, and I told her that I'm that I'm the head of the home, and I was, yeah. How's that? How's that yeah. going? <laughs> is your wife wooed by that? Is, right. Have you won her over? Is is the increase in affection on the rise? Is the trust strong? Is the intimacy strong? Is the connection strong? Um, 
you yeah. know, that, that in a sense get them to answer their own question. Yeah. You know, uh, what does it mean to focus on headship right. is ultimately a focus on serious responsibility for my wife's health, my family's right. health. And what I'm going, what steps I'm going to take to ensure it. So right. I think we've got a lot of connection on there, Nathan. I, I, I agree. And and just one more thing um, that I think you and I uh, agree on, Greg, is that um, even more societal traditional roles of men and women don't necessarily apply biblically. So, for instance, yeah. the the man goes out and wins the bread, and you know the wifey stays home and takes care of the kids. Sure. Now, I think in some cases that works very well, and if you can, I think it is important because of that uh, loving and nurturing factor that most women tend to have. Yeah. But I also know that there are some men out there who are very loving and nurturing, mm-hmm. and and there are some women out there who are just very savvy, business minded people. Yeah, who who know how to go out and know how to make a career, and they're very good at it. And so, in some cases, even in some cases in our church, I believe we there, do. There are men who stay home and take care of the family and do the more I say society. Uh, role that yeah. that we've placed uh, men and women in, um, but nothing unbiblical about that. Right? Yeah, and most people acknowledge even today what is considered the most traditional uh, wo- picture of womanhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sets up the podcast right after this. Yep, uh, Proverbs thirty-one. Um, uh, when we, uh, you know, we're going to release two the, the night this podcast comes out. Yep. The second is with a wonderful guest, Elise Fitzpatrick. Yes. Uh, and if you're listening to this one first, you are going to love that podcast. Uh, she Way was, more than you're going to love yeah. this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the uh, crappy preview to the, the main attraction, right? Yeah. To, to the feature that's, that's coming up. Uh, but she was just so good. Um, and we talked a lot with her about Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 obviously mentions that the woman works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's, you know, debate on to what extent, how does that, uh, uh, how does that impact uh, her uh, care of the children, the mm-hmm. home, etc. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I, I know this isn't to pick on Mark Driscoll, who is a fairly easy target uh, in light of recent, uh, recent history. But for the longest time, I do know, and he was very upfront about it in his church, uh, it would rise to the issue of church discipline unless there was um, uh, a just reason for the man to be at home, uh, an injury, an illness, uh, some sort of very unique arrangement. But if it was just the husband was at home with kids, the wife was at work, um, that wasn't just frowned upon. It was considered a a sinful right. lifestyle. Um, I don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, now, this is where it gets hard to separate personality. Right. I mean, Lisa and I look extremely traditional mm-hmm. um, because she has been a homemaker. She was a nurse until the time our, our first was born, uh, mm-hmm. 17 years ago. And then she stopped working, hasn't gone back working since. And I will say, Nathan, uh, I thank God for her. Right. Because... Uh, I would wreck those kids right. <laughs> if I was with them uh, every second of the day. And I would say, I do believe, Nathan, um, Titus 2 has a lot to say about that. Um, I, I do. Th- let me just say this. I think it is normative and best and beneficial mm-hmm. when a mom, whenever possible, is at home with the kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to 
limit that in terms of how work ties in. Mm-hmm. We've got couples in this church that are wonderful, godly couples. Some have been like Lisa that have never worked. Some have worked part-time. Mm-hmm. Some have even worked full-time. And I always believe it's a heart issue, ultimately, mm-hmm. on how a mother invests in her kids. Right. And there's areas that, frankly, when I was younger, I would have been much more black and white. Uh, I have become more, um, I'd like to say gracious. Uh, some might say uh, waffly. I don't think so on that issue. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I will say, yes, I, I, I want to be clear. Uh, I do believe uh, Titus 2 says women should love their husbands and love their children. Mm-hmm. And that appears to me to be in the context of a home life mm-hmm. uh, in Titus 2. How, to what extent we press that, I get nervous when it starts getting pressed beyond what the scripture says. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I think, too, that's, that's a situation that, that we need to let godly families make their own decision on. You know, it's it's like anything else. How much TV do you let your children mm-hmm. watch? How many how much video games do you let them play? Yeah. How much um, vacation time do you take as a family? I, I think I think as parents, you need to be invested in your children. As husband and wife, you need to be invested in one another. But the degree to which you allow that to play out and in what way, I think that's a decision that you need to make. Yeah. with a clear conscience before God. Yeah, I think that's key. I yeah. think that's key. Yeah, the the, the clear conscience, and uh, obviously Paul says when we're doing things that we have serious doubts about, we that should give us pause. Right. Think what is holding me up here? Is it is it a cultural hang up? Right. Or is there something deeper going on here? And uh, well said. I think we can let people work through that. To expand that a little bit more, Nathan, we sure. were talking before the podcast. Man, sometimes I feel bad. I feel like I make John Piper a whipping. Bo- I, I hope it's clear. <laughs> I know it's clear to you. Right. John Piper has left perhaps the most indelible pastoral imprint on my thinking and yes. life more than any kind of famous pastor. Yes. I mean, personally, friendship-wise, there's other people that aren't well-known right. that have made a, a, an even stronger impact, obviously. Some living, some have passed on. Uh, so I love Piper. I, I think he he has done more to advance a joyful, uh, glory-centered, God-centered mm-hmm. theology than maybe anybody in the English-speaking world alive today. So I, I yeah. want to be as clear as I can on that. Um, as I age a little bit, I uh, and I'm glad I, I, mm-hmm. I become a little less of a of a piper right, right, uh, and do a little more thinking for myself. And um, uh, I would say I distanced myself in 2008 mm-hmm. when Sarah Palin was the VP candidate. Piper, you know, and, I mean, he knew he was going to take some heat for it. I mm-hmm. always respect his convictions put out an argument that uh, no you know she shouldn't be that a woman should not hold that position right I, I don't see that in scripture right I see it limited to a church context which we're still getting to right but we're definitely setting the stage here um, I Piper is very much a and I've heard this quote leadership is male mm-hmm. uh, that's stronger than I I would I would I, than I right. see it in scripture right Um I well, would not go so far as to say leadership is male. And and interestingly, people who say that, I I pause because if that's true, if if you truly believe that to be a conviction, uh I, I know his children have been through a myriad of different schooling, mm-hmm. you know, private, public, home, yep. you know. Then how do you then justify teachers? 
who are female. Right. How do you justify a principal, school board, yeah. going up the ladder saying, well, if, if that's truly your conviction, then you're the only one who is responsible outside of the family for teaching your child right. anything. Right. Uh, that's interesting. I He's addressed that. I'm trying to think. I mean, I think one of the things, Nathan, that immediately comes to my mind is in, in the culture uh, of first century Judaism um, and, and centuries before that even. I mean, you became a man at a much younger age. Right. More like 13, 14 today. Um, so our school system doesn't reflect that. We go all the way up to 17 or 18, right. whether it's private, public, and let's be honest, in most cases, homeschooling too. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could say, so, so what is that? I mean – Traditionally, a man would have stopped learning, or a boy would have stopped learning. Because right. most would say, well, it's fine for a woman to teach children. Mm-hmm. But you got a 17-year-old high school senior that works a job at uh, Jiffy Lube right. uh, and drives his own car, pays his own car insurance, is thinking for himself, is is theologizing his way through life in that formative stage. And he's got a woman English teacher right. uh, or a woman Bible teacher if it's a Christian school. Right. Uh, is that wrong? Uh, I think that's a good point. Normally, people start pulling out what we talked about in our lottery podcast. Right. Well, um, only if – and you right. say, okay, where's your scripture? Right. You don't have it. You're just giving me your elevated opinion just like I have an opinion. Right. And the guy two rows down for me has an opinion. So, um, yeah, I I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. I, I used to because I assumed for the longest time, well, I'm going to be a reformed – Piper guy, so leadership is male. Right. But again, looking at that more scripturally, where do you see that? I understand you. You, you could make arguments that uh, predominantly we have men mm-hmm. uh, that are leading, uh, women leading in the Old Testament world. Uh, usually, were exceptional cases mm-hmm. um, rather than normative. Okay. Um, again, uh, whenever we argue from narrative to prescriptive or right. descriptive to prescriptive. That makes me nervous, right? Um, because I think we should look at the didactic sections in Scripture that actually teach us clearly this is right. the way leadership should be. And let's be honest, leadership is one of those things in Scripture. Uh, a seminary professor of mine said it like this: said, "You know, it's everywhere and it's nowhere." Yeah. <laughs> like if you were to ask, right. where's the chapter on leadership in Scripture? Right. Nobody can give it to you. Right. We would say, well, it's kind of everywhere. It's all weaved throughout the story. Okay. But it's nowhere right. at the same time in terms of concentrating on the crystallized section. Right. So if you factor women in this discussion in terms of leading as presidents or senators or CEOs um, you know, or school administrators or hospital, admi- you know, hospital administrators, dude, we're just, uh, you can't right. prove anything. Right. All due respect to John. <laughs> right. Well, and I think I think it's important to uh, to to come to those conclusions. And and as as you, um, I think we uh, either said or prayed before this podcast: be good Bereans, study yeah, the word, yeah. and see what Scripture actually says on the issue. Like yeah. with anything, when you go out and buy a Powerball ticket, when you uh, go and and you know buy a six pack of beer, what does Scripture actually teach on the issue? And what are you convicted of on the issue? And make sure you try to let Scripture speak on what it's going to speak on, and then you be silent on what Scripture's silent on. Absolutely. And if you have a conviction towards something, then okay, that's fair. I will will do my best to try to help you and and carry you through that, but don't expect me to fall in line and – 
you know, be in tow with it. Absolutely, dude. It's, I think we've talked about it before. A, a practical definition of legalism, or it's an analogy really, mm-hmm. is when I make my elective your requirement. Right. You know, uh, to use a college example. Yeah, I elect to do such and such. Right. To watch this but not watch this. Right. Um, sometimes people are shocked. There are things I don't watch. Right. Um, somebody <laughs> said, is there anything you won't watch? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's things I won't watch. And I have my reasons for them. But I'm very careful in those. Right. As strong as they are and appealing as they are for me, that um, I, I, I try not to, to put that on right. somebody else. So you you got to work walk, right. walk through that yourself. And I, I think a good example of that is um, when we did our, our review of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. I, I think you know that's one that people should go back and listen to if they're kind of curious yeah, think, about. Wasn't that our second one? It was. Wow, man! Go back and 64 listen. Sixty-four episodes ago. That's right. Um, what I'd like to do now is uh, let's move our conversation into the realm of church. Yeah. I think I think we've explored um, that that we are both very liberal mm-hmm. in different ways when it comes to men and women outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's let's now focus inside the church because I think once we start exploring that and you know hopefully hopefully we can get there a little quicker this time. Um, but you and I are actually we, we would agree up to a certain point even inside the church mm-hmm. where women can serve and 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 be leaders. Absolutely. The the Tom Schreiner podcast, yeah. which we've referenced a few times today, was an eye-opening thing for me, uh, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Haven't really acted yet. Mm-hmm. Part of it is because I would have to act and think and pray in conjunction with other church leaders here, right. which I've done minimally, but we uh, – you know, we, we've come through the holidays and we've got a aggressive meeting schedule ahead of us. Um, but there I, we're with Tom Schreiner, mm-hmm. brilliant New Testament exegete, um, benefiting so much, by the way, from uh, his commentary on Second Peter yeah. that I'm preaching on yeah. now. Um, and uh, think, man, we interviewed this guy. He was awesome. He just was so down to earth, said, call me Tom. And we were talking about women in leadership a little bit yeah. in that podcast as a teaser. And I realized, okay, here's the Southern Baptist pastor of a traditional Southern Baptist church teaching in a Baptist seminary. Here's Steve Hartland, who's 61. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here's me, the other quote-unquote paid religious professional. Um, And uh, (laughs) Tom Schreiner is looser in his church (laughs) on women. They've got women praying, which we don't really have at CFC. So I would just say, Nathan... um, and really, particularly for our female listeners, um, I am really thinking deeply, and I'm not just saying that, I really am. How does my view, mm-hmm. which I'll say now, that women can't be elders, mm-hmm. which I believe, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment, yep. and, and I'll defend as best as I can, um, not preclude uh, women from all leadership in the church? Uh, because I think... Women have great gifts, do have leadership gifts, and I don't think that women are consigned solely to the nursery in the kitchen. Sure. But practically speaking, yeah. uh, I need to build a little more street credit there. Right. So uh, I just throw that out. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I do <clears> – <throat> I want to be fair to you in this context as well because we have talked about this before, that our church, the way it's set up, we don't have deacons. Right. We don't have deaconesses. Um, and so – to me, that that seems like a clear 
um, indication just because functionally the community groups function in those roles. They do, our small groups, um, yeah. And so we do have men and women who lead the community groups. Yes. Um, and so they, they co-lead these and you know they work together in these. Usually it's a husband and wife couple in a home. Yeah. Um, and so I would say just in all fairness in, into what practically the church looks like, um, we just don't have those roles set up. For yes. men or women. Yes, I, um, I, I would agree. And they are in many ways still, like in our community groups, somewhat undefined. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, community groups are under, they're actually under Mark Sweeney, who's one of our pastors, mm-hmm. kind of direct leadership. Mark is one of the elders, so he's accountable to the elder team. So we would say all of our community groups ultimately, yeah. you could say, are under pastoral leadership, elder leadership, which is male leadership. And the question, a lot of times it's a question of delegation, but how does that look like practically on a Thursday night in our home? Sure. Um, And in our community group that I'm a part of, uh, uh, Cynthia, who's just a wonderful, godly woman, um, definitely, for lack of a better word, leads the flow of that meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, And which is wonderful, even though I'm the quote unquote pastor. Right. um, I try to stay in the background on those things. And her husband, Mark. Um, helps it as well and often openness is, uh, opens up in prayer, gathers us, etc. And she tends to kind of set the flow of the meeting, go through the questions, co- mm-hmm. coordinate everything. So some wonderful things going on, on out there. And I think women to bring their gifts and their, their leadership gifts even yeah. in, in those experiences are very, very important. Um, but I'm just saying this is an area that I'm continuing to think about and explore. Right. Um, we don't have women praying yet. Right. Um, not for any strong, again, theological reason. Right. Um, some of it has been tradition, mm-hmm. pattern <laughs> that we have inherited. Right. People don't think non-denominational churches have traditions. And again, uh, a friend of mine said, you know what a tradition is in a non-denominational church? When you do the same thing two weeks in a row, <laughs> it's it's a tradition. Yeah, I mean, it is. You can tell. I mean, anybody <laughs> right. that comes to our churches, if you've been here for six months, you, you can pretty much guess what who's going to come up next, right. what's going to be said next. I think it's very hard to get out of that. So in some ways, that's been part of it. But another reason, Nathan, is until we get to a point where we teach on this a little bit more clearly, sure. have wider conversations, there's the confusion question, mm-hmm. uh, which is not mainly what motivates us, but it's been referenced a few times. Mm-hmm. If we have a woman up there praying on a Sunday morning, it, it, particularly now since we've not really done it, have these guys changed? Right. Are women right. elders now or women pastors now? And it's just a question of wisdom on how we communicate where we stand on these things in a wise way. But sure, I'm getting way into the weeds here. Sure, sure. Um, so let's... Um Let's move into the the eldership discussion because yeah. then I want to actually I want to backtrack a little bit, um, and I just want to say for for the sake of of those listening that um, neither Greg nor I would dispute the importance of women in the Bible. Right, um, Greg, you've preached on that so many times, and it's been so great. Genesis to Revelation, just seeing what God thinks of women, especially yeah. in a male centered context oh. culture um, at that time, yeah. and and God just um, elevates them and you you said it many times before the first people to see christ risen from the grave or witness christ risen from yep. the grave are are women yep. whose testimony in courts are even admissible yeah. um, isn't that awesome 
And so we just, we know the opinion that God has of women. And so for those listeners out there who just, you know, you've been taught or you've thought that uh, the Bible just puts women down, it is quite the opposite. Oh, yeah. Um, When, if, if you just read anything, and we're not talking about just the New Testament, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even in the Old Testament, we see the importance of women um, going going back to Eve. No, absolutely. <laughs> our, you know, the our, our first mother. Mm-hmm. Um, we see how important she was in the story of redemption, and we and we move on, and we can see how God uses anyone and everyone um, to bring His glory about. Absolutely, dude. I mean, the uh, having gone through. Uh, uh, Joshua recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, the attention given to Rahab, yeah. a prostitute, mm-hmm. was basically running a brothel. But man, her faith, mm-hmm. her courage, the way it's highlighted, the way she finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus Christ as yeah. a result. And man, you just add to that Ruth, yeah. uh, Esther, Hannah, mm-hmm. on and on. I mean, I- incredible exaltation of women in a patriarchal culture. Yeah. Total agreement on that. And and you look at it's it's funny because you look at Ruth and Esther, these are two books solely dedicated mm-hmm. to two women. Yeah. You don't have that of men. I mean Joshua yeah. you have, but but really other than that, you know, you go through you have Genesis, which is a flowing story mm-hmm. of um, our ancient fathers, Exodus, which is a flowing story of Israel as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have Joshua, which has some stuff to do with Joshua, but actually the majority of the book is all about land and surveys, yeah. and it's just got it named after him. Yeah. In Ruth and Esther, you're given story oh. exclusively about these yeah, women. Yeah, they are the central – I mean, God's always the right. central character, but right. small c central, they're the central characters, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, so I think um, uh, – so let me get into it like this. Yeah. Probably then surprises people, why do I think – only men should be elders. Yeah, I would say um, this. This sounds like the Matt Smith joke because I believe what the Bible teaches. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I do think that is what the Bible right. teaches. Uh, a couple of quick references here: uh, the 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 two passages that you know we're not going to read them mm-hmm. in this context here of a conversational podcast, but. Uh, uh, First Timothy three, Titus one, mm-hmm. uh, that lay out the qualifications for elder. I think there is a distinction made uh, between husbands and husbands of one wives um, that is not applicable to or wives of one husband because I think they, I believe Paul mm-hmm. would have said that uh, all the adjectives are male, mm-hmm. uh, all the quali- all the qualifications uh, in terms of the descriptors are, are in the masculine case. So a, a few things like that. First Timothy two uh, is interesting. Right before chapter three, where the qualifications are given for a a man, it says Paul says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority mm-hmm. over a man." I take that now. Not all people do, but I take that as a admonition, since it comes just before the the eldership quality. That what Paul is saying there is that a woman. Um, uh, cannot serve as the role uh, serve as an elder. Some complementarians uh, would say no. It's stronger than that. Mm-hmm. It means that a woman can't teach. Uh, period over a man of any sort. I think the reason that he says teach and authority. Mm-hmm. I think the teaching and the authority go together. 
Interestingly enough, Nathan, I was influenced by a woman scholar, Susan Foe, mm-hmm. who taught at Westminster Seminary, wrote an article on this in the late 80s, early 90s, that I think was 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 spot on, and many of my seminary professors really uh, praised it as well, that uh, Paul is forbidding there the woman serving in the role of an elder. Let me illustrate that. Um, the late Elizabeth Elliot was a great teacher. Mm-hmm. I... I saw her speak twice uh, when I was in Campus Crusade for Christ in college. She came to two Christmases, uh, Christmas conferences, outstanding. Everybody was you know, spellbound by her, her teaching. Um, she taught on moral purity. She taught on sexual ethics, etc. Um, she had no authority to enforce that teaching. She mm-hmm. taught it, but other than appealing to us to see what the Bible says, that was that... An elder, I believe, in a local church has the authority to enforce what he teaches. Mm -hmm. So in other words, uh, we are teaching about uh, purity in marriage and that a husband should be faithful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we find out a husband has been unfaithful. Obviously, that becomes a pastoral care and potential discipline issue because the elders, I believe, are invested with not their own authority and it's not earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not because they're special or holy. It's because it's a delegated authority right. to that office that the elders teach and have the authority to enforce it. So I think in First Timothy 2, when Paul is saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, he's referring to that combined teaching with authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one sense, I go a little more egalitarian. Right. I say that uh, a woman can teach right. uh, and uh, men can benefit from that teaching. Right. I think... Do, she she wouldn't say she was doing it, but Elise Fitzpatrick, when she talked with us oh, on this yeah. next podcast, podcast, I learned a ton. Yeah, uh, listening to her talk about idolatry, hearing her exposit some scripture, yeah, hearing her insights on Proverbs thirty one and Titus two. Yeah, what are we going to say? Well, we're not learning from you right. because we're men. <laughs> now, if John Piper was saying it or Alistair Begg, I could learn. Uh, of course not. We're not right. saying that. We we were learning a great deal. Uh, so I think she's teaching. But she's not teaching with authority. Right. Um, where one's church elder is teaching with authority to enforce that teaching, mm-hmm. ultimately seen in the act of church discipline. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another key piece, First Timothy 2, why I see um, the office is reserved for men only. Mm-hmm. To which you say. Yeah, I... Wait a minute, Nathan. <clears throat> Do we have... Conversion music keyed up. I know, right? For if I persuade you, <laughs> and I can play it right through my phone. Uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. So keep going. Do you have the uh, Darth Vader march? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Even better, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even better. Oh boy! Keep, yeah. keep going, dog. So, keep going. I'm sorry. I threw you off. So I remember when we when we first had this discussion, you brought it up to me, and um, that actually. Uh, caused me to think more about the way I was reading uh, that particular section of scripture. Uh, Because I think if I was um, having a discussion or a debate with someone who was speaking in general about teaching, I I would have a slam dunk argument against them. Because, because earlier in those passages, you know, it refers to uh, women being uh, saved through childbearing, Um, It talks about not adorning themselves with jewelry and braided hair and, you know, it goes on and on. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we would say, well, well, clearly it's not 
speaking literally about those things. And so why then would we look at um, the context of teaching and say, oh yeah, literally speaking about teaching. And then again, the issue that I always had was, well, if it's the case of teaching, then why do we have women teaching Bible in Christian schools? Why do we have women right, teaching men right. in general? And so to uh, to John Piper's uh, thoughts, um, he's consistent in, in what he thinks and believes to a certain extent, but to another extent, I think there's some inconsistencies there if you're willing to say one and not the other. Mm-hmm. Where when you presented that to me about eldership, um, it, it it got me thinking a little mm-hmm. more. Um, still not quite convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've actually um, – I think I shared a link with you um, a, a few weeks back that was uh, very well done um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, on, yeah. on a gentleman who kind of took that and um, did a uh, little bit of um, an exegete on that passage. Mm-hmm. Um and, I, and that's actually the one thing I wish I had refreshed myself and gone back to mm-hmm. um, before this. But I still uh, – and, and I think this is this is where you and I view the the office of pastor a little differently mm-hmm. because I, I almost view pastors as New Testament prophets mm-hmm. um, or priests, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and so when I, when I look at scripture and I read um, – there weren't just there. There wasn't just one prophetess in the Old Testament. There mm-hmm. wasn't just one. Um, I, I think it's yeah, prophetess. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah is the one that's namely mentioned in right. the Book of Judges. But there were there were many. Um, and so when I look at that, I equate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, when I see okay, this is a function and a role that that happened in the Old Testament and this is how it's changed in the New Testament and carried over. That's where we would disagree Um, and because I'm trying to remember how you view the office of pastor. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Nathan. I actually would say the office I see as elder. Pastor, Mm -hmm. I I don't think is an office per se. Okay. I mean, it it gets tricky because some people would say, well, pastor, elder. But, and I don't mean to split hairs on that issue, um, I see pastor as a giftedness category, Ephesians 4, mm-hmm. um, uh, chiefly uh, as something given for the benefit of the church. Uh, the office that I see is one of elder or deacon, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I do believe that the office of deacon is open to, to women, right? Uh, and a number of evangelical and even Reformed scholars feel that way. PCA, for instance, has not signed on to that yet, but I know from inside information, it's a hot debate at every presbytery. Sure. And my suspicion is in the next 30 years, probably, gosh, it sounds harsh when a older guard passes on, right. that my suspicion is that will be uh, distinctive of the PCA. So I think the office is elder. Elder. Um, so that does lead to the question I've been asked, can women have pastoral gifts? Mm-hmm. I would say yes, uh, but and she, they should not be used in my view in within the office of elder, elder. Uh, so that a woman might have pastoral gifts in teaching and leading and shepherding and nurturing and caring um, that we would say in many ways are pastoral giftings, not that all pastors have them all right. in equal measure. Uh, some pastors are more teaching oriented, some are more administrative or caring oriented. Um, so the question for me becomes, where can those gifts be used? Because sure. the office is reserved for, for men. Let me ask you this question yeah. because it, it, 
I'm not aware, and, and maybe you can help me with this, but I'm not aware of many churches that are elder ruled mm-hmm. where women would be pastors. It's more congregational led churches, yeah. um, to my knowledge. Um, good point. I, I know of one okay. that has a very similar model to ours that it is elder led and women are there. But I know what you mean. The majority of women pastors right. probably serve in more congregational type churches right. where there's an elected office, etc. It's a good point. I and never so, thought of that. I, well, I mean, I, I know, and, and this is a debate for another day, but elders versus congregation. What would you say in those roles other than the fact that they should be elder run instead of congregational run? Yeah. Would they be keeping consistent with scripture? In my view, no. Okay. And that is because um, uh, here's what I believe. Uh, this gets us in, into one. I mean, I think elder rule, elder leadership is is the way to go. I mm-hmm. think that's what the scriptures right. teach. And I feel strongly on that. Yet I fully acknowledge we have congregational churches mm-hmm. uh, where the membership has a much greater say or vote in the life of the church uh, than they would say in the church that I pastor. Um, you know, or diaconal churches uh, that are tend to be well that gets us into the weeds there 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 i'll just say there's other forms of church government right um i acknowledge those aren't salvation issues but mm-hmm. i do think somebody's right and somebody's wrong right surprise i happen to think i'm right right uh as everybody uh, thinks their own position is right uh so therefore the question becomes for me is oh i truly believe nathan all my heart that there's every legitimate church has elders i think the churches that are doing a better job on defining government mm-hmm. call them that Mm-hmm. But I think there are other churches that are congregational, but but they have elders. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like people that are equipped, called by God to serve and lead that church. It's unfortunate that they are not structurally aligned mm-hmm. with what I think the scripture says church government should be. So that's why I would say in my case, in those places where women are serving like elders, mm-hmm. they they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um now we get into the some really sticky issues there because, well, shouldn't they step up if men don't? Uh, I've heard people like Tony Campolo and others say that. There's a part of me that understands that and says mm-hmm. there's even a part of me that says it's commendable. There's another another part of me that says I guess my preferred response from a woman that sees an absence of leadership of qualified men in her church that should be leading and aren't should voice that. Mm-hmm. And say, I'm tempted to jump in, but I don't want to. I believe that men should should take the lead in this elder role. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Because I'm not sure right. I understand what I just said. Okay, go on. Glad one of us does, right? Yes, yes, that's good. <laughs> no, I, th- I, think, um, I think from your perspective that um, it, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of um, allowing God to raise and build his church as yeah. opposed to us jumping in and trying to make a mess of it. Yeah. Um, to, to me, yeah, I can I can understand that from from your perspective. Yeah. Um, so my question would be: if if women are gifted to teach, mm-hmm. how does that practically look in the life of the church? Mm-hmm. Because because clearly we're we're saying, or or you're saying that that women shouldn't be elders, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, I could I can get on board with that. Oh. Um, oh my! And 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 let me just qualify what I'm saying because <laughs> don't qualify, Nathan. Go with <laughs> that's it. That's right. That's right. Go with the Holy um, Spirit. 
part of why I can understand that is because I'm I'm tracking uh, and and have tracked with with your argument in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. I, I again I will put this out there. I'm just tonight in particular I am woefully unqualified <laughs> to make a, an intelligent counter argument. I picked a good night. Uh, you did. Um, however, if we can agree that teaching is a gift mm-hmm. that that women have, yes. How would we practically place that in the church? Not necessarily yeah. our church, because you've talked a little bit about that. Yeah. But in general, in churches, um, how can we make sure that those gifts are are utilized for the body and not necessarily just? in the nursery or in children's yeah. church or in a Sunday school um, or even just in a community group um, yeah. on, on a Wednesday night or whatever. How can we make sure that the body is benefiting um, in million, a much greater million dollar question? I think the issue Nathan, that you're maybe slightly dancing around understandably is um, could a woman preach from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. for instance, right? Sure. We talk about the benefit of the church. Sure. Uh, wow. Big question. Um, I'm trying to separate what we do from a more theoretical. I would say sheerly theoretical Mm -hmm. uh, from everything we're talking about tonight. uh, The first thing you would need to establish in your mind, Mm -hmm. in your conscience to be at peace or at churches or an elder body or something is, um, is the Sunday morning sermon something that can come from a, non-elder mm-hmm. now to answer that question i would say i'm comfortable saying yes mm-hmm. with these qualifications again when the elders delegate that pulpit mm-hmm. to people they trust i think ultimately you're always under the leadership of an elder team right uh even if they provide teaching through the vehicle of delegation uh, I can think we had a young man here, Brendan Beal, mm-hmm. friend of our church, friend of us, and uh, goes to Matt Smith's church. He is not an elder mm-hmm. at his church, and he's certainly not one here because he doesn't go here. Right? He's preached here a couple of times. He's a gifted preacher, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he's got some some great giftings. I think his theology is good, and he is vouched for by people that we would trust, Right? good men. So, Therefore, the argument becomes, could a woman do that? I would say, theoretically, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I heard another church did that, and I would say, okay, I kind of know where you're coming from. Practically speaking, the other question to ask is, does it create confusion mm-hmm. in the minds of people? Mm-hmm. I do recognize that, that there is a just a sense that whoever preaches from the pulpit is an elder mm-hmm. type person in people's minds. So therefore, do we confuse people uh, by having women teach in that capacity? And by definition, it should be rare if it happens because I'm trusting that it's usually the, the elders preaching, that are doing right. the teaching the, the, and they occasionally get an outside guest. So, um, wow. I'm probably going to let that one hang a little bit, Nathan. <laughs> I, I'm thinking out loud right? Uh, as we talk about it. Um, and it's never been something I've been confronted with. Right. Um, it would be interesting. You know, uh, I will say this biblically, Book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila. Mm-hmm. Most commentators, even the most conservative commentators that I've read on the Book of Acts, um, 
think that uh, Priscilla is mentioned usually first because she was kind of in the driver's seat on teaching. Mm. I think the implication of Priscilla and Aquila is that she was a gifted teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axe mentions that in a couple of places. I mean, they're, they they seem to do it together. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be some kind of a husband-wife dynamic playing out there. But the fact that she's mentioned first, which is rare and unusual, right. and seems to be suggesting a point, uh, makes me think she was set let loose to teach and bless the early church. So uh, I'm going to leave that uncomfortably gray. Uh, here's my guess, dude. I yeah. bet this podcast, I've loved it, has frustrated people <laughs> that, one, want a more knockdown drag out, right. as we all love that stuff, and we're not going to do that right. over an issue like this. Uh, two, uh, that maybe there's a little ambiguity here. Yeah. Yeah. Just a thought. Well, and I think, I think that's fair enough because um, – I think an issue like this, it it deserves and demands to constantly be going back to it and rethinking your position and reexamining scripture on it because it's not – we're not talking about um, salvation through Christ alone. Yeah. You know, this isn't an issue that – for me, I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's an issue I'll go to the mat on any day of the week. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. I'm not going to be sensitive about the issue. Right. I'm going to tell you flat out plainly what I believe scripture is teaches and says about it yeah something like this um you know and and again as much as um you've laid that out for me it's given me pause to Mm -hmm. think about that and and even years later i'm still mulling that over Mm -hmm. and considering that um i'm not i'm still not sold and convinced on it Mm -hmm. sure you know and um yeah and it's interesting because, um, you know, listeners um, wanted us to talk about this. They wanted us to bring this up more. Yeah. And um, again, I apologize for for not being as fully prepared um, in this. But I, I can say that, you know, my mind hasn't changed. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's good. It's good for us to be awkward because, yeah. you know, because I, I think that's that's the reality. Yeah. You know, um, to me, this isn't an issue that I'm willing – somebody pulls a gun to my head and asks me to change my view. I, I've got no problem changing my yeah. view. <laughs> I, yeah. I, because because as much as I, I, I do believe um, women can be pastors in the church, and uh, really for me, that's more of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, more than eldership even mm-hmm. because um, the, the vast majority of my growing up years was in congregational churches. Sure, yeah. Um, so for me, more of the issue is is are women um, able to teach in the church, in the pulpit on Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm more willing to argue that point mm-hmm. than um, than the eldership issue. Yeah. Yeah, and as we've explored this, Nathan, there's there's common ground. There's touch points here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times the differences come to, okay, how do we apply this? Right. How, how would we wisely do this? And people might might uh, veer here. I, I did want to share share one other thing. Yeah. This is a narrative argument, so it's weaker. Yeah. I would start, as I mentioned, with the 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 First Timothy, the Titus passages right. that kind of specifically lay out qualifications. I would probably secondly go that as far as I can see, the elders mentioned in the New Testament are mm-hmm. men. Um, and and I, I do not, obviously, if I did, that would be a big issue, see an example where there's a woman specifically named as an elder. Uh, so I would start with those, I think, the clear. Historically, I would just say this. I think this doesn't prove my position but supports it. And that is the choosing of the 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't build my case on it. I more confirm it and illustrate it. Um, 
when I've talked to some egalitarian guys, Nathan, this has been always a rub where I've said, hey, why didn't Jesus choose one woman to be an apostle? Now, I know apostles aren't elders, but if anything, you could argue that they, they actually serve at least temporarily a higher role. Mm-hmm. I think elders were largely a temporal position that, that dissipated. Um, we'll talk about that with Matt Smith next week as we deal with some charismatic issues. Yes. Uh, our final hot topic for January. Um, but I think that um, Jesus chose men. He was up all night. He was praying. Chooses 12 men to be his closest followers. I've asked egalitarians, I said, now look, there is an opportunity. Why didn't Jesus choose one woman in that pack? Though normally, and I'm this things that I've heard, say something that is kind of a concession type argument. Well, uh, of course he could have. He's making a concession to the time. It would have looked odd to have women traveling uh, with men. It could have created rumors, conversations, temptations, etc. I say, okay. But here's why I'm not persuaded of that. Uh, I don't see Jesus ever doing that because to hang out in homes with prostitutes, drunkards, I mean, it seems like you'd make some concessions there. Yes, Jesus does love them. He is does care about them, but he's got to be careful about reputation, etc. Uh, Mary and the alabaster jar... Um, Mary Magdalene's uh, uh, proximity, uh, the story at Simon, uh, the house of the Pharisee, uh, where the woman wipes Jesus' feet with her hair and tears, violating every cultural norm. Mm-hmm. He lets all that happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see him making cultural concessions. Mm-hmm. To me, in, in the purity of Jesus' ministry, when it's right, it's right. And and it doesn't matter what the world says. Right. Um, I see him doing that all the time. So to me, he chooses 12 men because that's how it's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. that it's supposed to be men in that position. Uh, Because I think if it was supposed to be women in that position, he would have done it. Mm -hmm. So I understand the argument that he's making somewhat of a concession to the spirit of the age. I would just argue, show me one other time where he really does that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see it. I always see him always pushing against the cultural mores of the time and, you know, forget it. I don't care what people think. I'm going to do this thing to make the the very opposite point. So that's just one other thing I wanted to throw out there. Mm-hmm. All right. We are uh, – we're running late on time. That went fast, man. An hour and 20 minutes. Wow. Thank you, listeners. Yeah. No, this is uh, this has been great. Um you know, we hope in the future that we can, you know, revisit this yeah. over time, you know, as um, Greg becomes less confused on his position. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't going to happen, dude. I'll probably get more ambiguous and goofy. Uh, no, but this is this has been so much fun, Greg. I always enjoy it when you and I can sit down and Me too, dude. just have these discussions. So we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off now. And we just rock the Casper. David Bowie style. These guys to 11.